The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game, a show about short video games, games that respect your time. My name is Nate Heininger, and I am joined this week by two valiant co-hosts. Laura Nash. And Shane Kelly. And this week we are discussing Beast Breaker, a game that is a turn-based, mouse-bouncing adventure produced by Vodeo Games in September 22nd of 2021. Uh, It's available on PC, Mac, and Switch for $15. An adorable little game. Yeah. It's a super cute game. Uh, I I was really intrigued to play this from the first time I heard about it, but uh, the concept is not easily explained. <laughs> it's I mean it's a pin it's another pinball plus something, but it's not pinball per se. It's more like a brick breaker, but brick breaker, but uh, with a full on RPG story adventure mode tied into it, but um. Before we get too much into the into the game itself, I think Vodeo Games uh, has some interesting elements to it. Um, I think Laura, you've done a little bit of digging on this company. Yeah, so Vodeo Games has a familiar to us founder, uh, Asher Volmer, who did Threes and Guildings and uh, Puzzle Juice, which took closure. Had a deal with my former company, Game Club, <laughs> um, but. Uh, I did never meet Asher, so it doesn't really matter. Um, anyway, he and a large number of folks founded Vodeo Games and they uh their principal description of their games are cozy crunchy. <laughs> uh small intimate games you can curl up with and completely lose yourself in. So they want complex cozy games. And the other uh kind of banner thing on their about us page is unionized, highly experienced. Hell and yeah. Here are their yeah, here are their four beliefs. Depth and accessibility are not mutually exclusive. There's no such thing as an apolitical game. Game development should be sustainable, and game development should be playful. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So, cozy games, you know, with that, like, you, you should feel good about your team behind it feeling. Yeah. Uh, well, considering the uh, the the... Standard in the industry is uh, yeah, back-breaking I, I was, labor exploitation. I was um, trying to describe yep. <laughs> what flavor of fire it was, and then I just got yeah. depressed. Um, yeah. So uh, See, actually, that is kind of when we had that conversation a while back about the kind of cozy games movement. One of one of the things that we were talking about um, as really a kind of a critique of it is is that it's this stylistic approach to game design. Um, that is aiming to create a vibe that isn't really core to the industry, it, it, you know, and, and you, you have, and it feels exploitative in a way to have that like, oh, well, this is just a relaxing good time. Meanwhile, the people that made it were essentially digital sweatshop workers. Yeah. And, uh, and on top of that, I like that they, they call them, it's not cozy games, they do cozy, crunchy games. And that second half is like, yeah. they want a lot of systems, they want a lot of intricacy, they want a lot of stuff going on in a game that's still cozy. So it's cozy, yeah. but there's still a lot there. This game really does have a lot. I, I would, I think it is going to be very difficult for us to fully explain the gameplay loop of this game, which is not something I ever thought I would say about what is fundamentally breakout uh which <laughs> yeah um one of my favorite uh little um pieces of trivia there is that the original breakout uh was designed by steve wozniak hey hey that's nice yeah um all the way back in the 70s yeah i think um you know we're gonna we have a we have a, a wide range of opinions on this game but when judged by that metric of it being both whatever you think of whatever def however you want to define cozy. Um, but if you, if you measure it by coziness and crunchiness, um, I think this game actually succeeds pretty well at that. 
It's a good thesis statement yeah. for a company that says, like, assuming they made it in a sustainable and playful manner. We mm-hmm. don't know that. We weren't there. But assuming they accomplished that, this definitely has a lot of complex systems in a very cute package. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought um, – well, I don't really want to get into the discussion of what cozy means. I would say this is a cute, crunchy game. This is an adorable, crunchy game. Everything is very – stylistically aimed at being uh you know cartoony and and kind of silly um as you play skipper a uh, adventurous mouse who has just <laughs> Uh, to be completely clear, this story's a little difficult to follow, so I'm going to have a little bit of a challenge explaining the the, the I, plot. I'll but take a stab Google at it for you there. pins show up and turn into butterflies? <laughs> yeah, so for yeah, some reason. So, so yeah. Skipper is kind of sitting uh, alone at home and gets an um, urgent request for help from... Something that basically, yes, looks exactly like a Google Maps pin, uh, which is kind of <laughs> hilarious. And they later make a joke um, about it, so they know. It, yeah. it is it is a uh uh it is a shoot. I'm gonna mix up the terminology. There's like sparks and There's moats sparks? and sparks. Moats and sparks. Moats? What was a moat and which one was moats? a spark? Moats are the element or the atomic elements of a spark. So moats, like four, okay. three or four yeah. moats turn into it was a four spark. moats per Three to yeah, four moats make a spark. Yes, yes. <laughs> Crunchy. So you're, you're getting a, a, a call for help. And this is, by the way, in a world where kind of mysteriously, uh, like a generation ago, magic has disappeared. Uh, it's also in a world where um, all of the sentient beings are cute, adorable forest creatures. Do you um, like Redwall? <laughs> yeah, no, I do. Uh, but the uh, – so – um, Skipper, uh, picks up their sword, which I, they find kind of in the basement and they just run out because, you know, if you're the hero in a story like this and you get a call for help, you go and, um, defeats a tutorial monster and is then, uh, basically caught by their grandma who says, uh, Hey, um, you know, here's, here's the down low. On the spokes and mar- spokes and marks, no, it's <laughs> moats and sparks, um, and that, that's where it kind of introduces the basic gameplay loop, which is you are uh, going out to defeat a beast. Um, as you defeat that beast, you collect the moats. Uh, you use them to, I think it uses the term like untangle them into. While, while you're making new equipment at a forge, which grandma does because she's the forge master. And um, then yeah, you're, you lather, rinse, repeat. Yeah, you are defeating these beasts in order to return magic to the world, I think. And protect the random villages that are in peril. This is key. Yeah, this I, is key. that is an interesting point is that like the world is now set up into – like small villages that are basically uh, separate from each other with no real means of communication because in between all of the villages are now these giant crystalline uh, monsters or, or beasts. Uh, and no one had really been able to do anything about them until you, Skipper, suddenly are able to uh, defeat these beasts. You're able to break these beasts and yeah that's the 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 core gameplay loop is you have sort of a home base where you are using your marts and spikes to um craft new uh new gear and talk to various characters before you head out on to a adventure that consists of two parts which is one tracking the beast and then two defeating the beast so I think we should start with defeating the beasts, though, because that's really the the big part of this game. And then we can yeah. talk about tracking them after. We've talked about mouse yeah. bouncing and pinball and whatnot, but it's in Brick Breaker. But it, he, Nate has recently played Peggle, so <laughs> Peggle. he he and anyone else who's played Peggle knows this like the bounce mechanic. It's you know snood. It's it's all that kind of bounce off things mechanic, but. The idea is that you have these 
um, what they call Laura, mosaic it's absolutely beasts. Absolutely not snood. <laughs> it's not snood. No, snood is snood is sticking. This is bouncing. Yeah, although you are um, aiming like snood. You are aiming like snood, but yeah. you are not sticking like snood. Yeah. Yes, that is that is very important. But yeah, I, um, I would say the 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 key thing here is the uh, I, to talk about the mechanics of the of the fights. I'd probably start from the abilities here mm. because. Um, when you when you're in a fight with one of these monsters, um, Skipper is very very tiny on screen. Remember because he they are essentially the ball, and um, you get to choose depending on the weapon that they're wielding. You um, you can uh, pick one of these many different abilities that uh, that you can choose your your abilities cost uh, an action and the abilities also use up uh, steps, which are represented by, um, you know, like you there's, I think this is a power up in Peggle where it tells you exactly where the ball is going to bounce the first time Um, here. The steps are literal little mousy paw prints uh, that represent where Skipper is going to be running Mm -hmm. uh, and show you how many steps are going to be used before Skipper stops um, every ability is pretty well defined in terms of just like some of them represent like, okay, you're going to move until you touch something and then do a big attack that hits lots of the beast or, or, uh, bounce around a lot, stuff like that. Um, the beasts themselves are then made up of tiles and the beasts it's turn-based. So the beasts mostly stand still until it's their time to move and then they move and, and then sometimes, uh, attack. Uh, but the beast tiles or scales, I guess, uh, um, are covering up these, they're mostly white, but they cover up these pink cores. And if you break the cores, you're dealing damage to the beast. And then there's of course, uh, like a, I think they call it like the primary core, vital core, I think the vital mm-hmm. core. That's right. And that's the, that's the ultimate weak spot where if you break that, um, it uh, it destroys the beast. Yeah, yeah, and when we're saying break, it's uh, there are numbers on each of these little like prismatic tiles scales. I think is what the game calls it, as Shane said. But when you hit it, there's a number on it, so it'll go down ten, nine, eight. So you can see how much damage each scale will take before it ruptures. Scales regrow, cores do not. So the idea is that the little, you know, the ten with a little star next to it, <laughs> like you got to get that to zero, and then the whole thing breaks. But there's a big counter going down at the same time, you know each action, each turn, it's just going to attack and reform in another formation. But if the rampage counter gets down to zero, it will destroy the village and you will end the game. So you're you're also trying to balance things that stop the rampage from going off, from causing core damage, from just you know having fun with the game. There's a lot of strategy for a bouncing game. Yeah, it's actually like pretty tight. There's not a lot of room for error in this game, I- at least with my experience with it. Um, every time you know, there's there's the vital core, and that usually has the most amount of hit points. But all of these other little cores, and it'll be like imagine a big spider, and the 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 part around its head is the vital core, and it'll have like a HP of 20 um and there'll be scales all around it that have hps of like one or two so on your turn you only have two or three actions usually you're going to try to bounce into the scales to break away the one or two value scales uh to expose the the 20 core and then hit that as many times as you can your turn will end the spider will move around and most of the time unless you've used some ability to prevent it those scales you broke away are going to reform exactly as they were and you start over and over. But there's also, uh, if you're thinking of a spider, like the back half of the spider might be a core that's like 10 and then each of its legs will be a scaled leg with a core that might be only two or five health, usually smaller. And if you destroy a, any other core other than the vital one, it resets that rampage counter meaning you get a whole new uh, run of turns before the whole game ends. And when you destroy these sort of exterior cores, they drop those motes or sparks. So 
you really are incentivized to whittle down the beast by focusing on these exterior uh, moats or these exterior cores, kill them all until you have just have like a wide open shot at taking down the vital core. Because with the way that the beasts are always moving and reshaping, it can be really hard to get a clear shot on the vital core when there's all these other arms or like the beasts are, are crazy. I mean, they're, they're the entire Enormous. screen. Yeah. They're the entire screen. It'll be like spider things or scorpion things or like we're just like completely uh, incomprehensible beasts, you know, and, and you really generally will only have like five to eight turns before that rampage counter goes to zero and you just lose. So there's not only do you lose the beast rampages through the nearby village, presumably killing everyone, (laughs) killing lots of adorable woodland creatures. And then they're like, but I guess they'll rebuild. Yeah. (laughs) Which also happens if you quit a game, I quit in the middle of a round. Like I had to sometimes do life stuff and quit the game and I was like yeah abandon the quest it was like then the beast rampages off destroys the town and everyone goes oh yeah there's an endless amount of beasts for you to fight there's uh whenever you go on an adventure you can generally just choose you're either going to do an adventure that is like main quest associated which still no matter what's happening in the main quest it, it it's always there's a beast you have to fight um, or there's just like an endless amount of, or at least seemingly endless amount of just beast breaker fights that you can go and do to collect moats and collect experience or practice with your new weapons. Because there is a pretty large amount of different weapons and combinations that you can do, like Shane was saying at the beginning, that alter these abilities, give you uh, a shorter range but higher damage, or um, you know, there's a bow that fires a ton of arrows, but the arrows don't always deal damage, but they bounce a lot. Like there's a ton. Um, I, I personally really enjoyed using the hammer, which has a mechanic of the more you use a single attack style, the more powerful that attack gets. So it becomes the sort of balancing act of, uh, you know, trying to like time it where you're using the same style of attack as many times as possible before you run out of, uh, actions or or charge or or whatever it is. Uh, I don't know what what weapons did you guys or did the two of you end up using the most or enjoy the most? Not a huge uh, fan of the bow and arrow, personally. Yeah, I kept. I do not like any weapon that may or may not do damage. Yeah, the I bow, want. I yeah want damage to be secure. I so had a couple very arrow, bad runs with the bow because it's like. You fire three arrows, but each has a 20% chance to do damage. And so I had times where I was like, I need to do one damage against this core. And I'd fire six arrows, and none of them did damage, and I lost the turn. Like, well, Yeah, I want some 100% chance of damage, (laughs) because sometimes you're down to the wire. And, like, I lost more games with the bow and arrow than any other. Yeah. Um, So I I did really enjoy the hammer. Um, I think I didn't play it for every beast but um the the shapes of the beast honestly mean the hammer works really well for some and not others yeah um like if i i rarely failed with a hammer but there were times where i got to the last blow which which also actually feels really awesome because the hammer you the thing about the hammer is you build up what they say is inertia which means that you're you start off pretty weak, but over time, if you keep reusing the same actions, they get stronger and stronger and stronger. So you get to the point where like there's eight left in the core. It's about to rampage and you just smack it real hard and kill it. And then that feels great. Um, I, but it's, it's a very risk reward thing, which yeah. I think was very fun for me because I've been playing with the sword and shield, which is a more traditional traditional. What is there's no tradition <laughs> in your classic mouse, uh, your you know, classic breaker mouse, game, you know, you know billiards, pinball, bouncy yeah. game. Um, so I, I, I liked, I, so, I mean, I played a lot of sword and shield and when I wanted something different, I did hammer. Yeah. How about you, Shane? Mainly, I liked the sword and shield. It's the most straightforward. You just kind of launch yourself at the beast and and deal damage. Um, and 
Uh, that's a lot of fun, but the, the one we haven't mentioned here, uh, I only got one of was the knife, uh, the, with the knife, you are kind of equipped with an arsenal of knives to throw, but then you have to recollect them, uh, to use them again, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I think the thing about the weapons is that you're constantly, um, getting new variations on the weapons and the armor. Um, each one of these four main types has a lot of different variations that you can get. And the main thing that they vary is the different skills that you can use in combat. Um, and then for each of those weapons, uh, the armor kind of lets you have a, a, a twist on how the battle itself works because I think the effects of the armor were mainly, uh, changing the result of hitting those swip, swapping yellow tiles. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think we mentioned those yet. There's these like yellow tiles that mainly, um, I think by default, are giving you an extra action. That's that what the base armor well. does. The base armor yeah, gives you an yeah. extra action, and then the the various armor will alter what it happens when you break that yellow block. So like the uh, the the bow and arrow, or there's one of them that. When you break the yellow block, you get five more arrows. But you really only want to be wearing that armor when you're using the bow and arrow, or it won't be, uh, you know, useful to you. And here's the thing: I always just want an extra turn. Yeah. So I, I can, generally I speaking, change. action economy. You want as many actions as possible. I almost always, especially when, yeah. especially when those actions oftentimes are the only thing that's going to let you delay that rampage timer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, the, if I have one big frustration with this game, it's that there is a significant element of randomness in your bouncing. Like maybe if you were like a, 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 a pool professional who can like foresee how a mouse will bounce 15 times off of a beast, <laughs> um, then like it, th- this isn't, truly random but it is very very difficult to predict where you're going to end up yeah uh, with some of this the, is not hold down where we can guess exactly where the thing will go yeah for a while. i i had the same problem shane i think it's because you are so small on the screen and you bounce so fast that i never really felt that i understood how the trajectory was going to work you know, with a lot of these bouncing games, um, you know, Brick Break or Peggle or whatever it might be, you do start to kind of get a feel for what the bounces are going to look like. And you might not be perfect at it, but you generally kind of feel like I'm going to go over this way and, and this is the area where I'm going to end up. I never felt that way with this game. It's just like aim your mouse in at, at the thing I know I want to hit. And then I just kind of hope the chaos ends with me in a good place to continue uh, to continue hitting where I want to hit. And in some ways, that was, or more often than not, that was less fun. But every once in a while, you would get those like golden bounces where you're like, "Holy shit, that was way better than what I was expecting it to do." Um, although I had one I was playing before we we started recording. And there was this cer- certain armor set where you could build up uh, additional steps. And I'd built up like an extreme amount of steps uh, that I was really saving for one like ultimate run. And I, I fired it off and I got the only time I've seen this happen. I got stuck in a perfect left to right bounce between <gasps> two scales that would not break. And it, just bounced back and forth for like 15 seconds and burned all of my uh, precious step that I've been, er, you know, that I've been building up to. It's just like, what are the odds that I landed exactly in between two parallel walls at exactly the right angle to bounce back and forth? So I I had that same experience, Shane. I I wish that maybe, I would say I wish you moved a little bit slower so you could learn what the bounces look like, but also that there's so much of it that that would probably really bring the game like the pace of the game down, but it did feel like I never had a, a good idea of what, I, where I was going to go and what I could do to get better at, at um, predicting my bounce. Did you play on switch? Yes, I did too. And it, this made me want this for my iPhone because I wanted to be able to very carefully scroll slowly and, 
Yeah. Stop. Or like, like zoom wanna, in. Yeah. The 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 switch or, or you can use the trigger buttons the, though. Well, even just the slowness of like moving, like when you're trying to, for example, there's one thing with the hammer momentum, which is the way I played it, fling yourself as far in a direction because as many steps as you go is as much buildup as you get. So I would try to like shoot myself far into a corner if I needed to build a momentum. But sometimes I'd be stuck in really odd positions and I'd have to th- very, very carefully thread the needle between two points. Yeah. And I would just spend, you know, three minutes moving my little switch trigger back and forth <laughs> trying to get that one tiny pixel where it shot all the way across the screen. And, and I just sat there for two or three minutes yeah, very patiently. But I, I wanted the, the precision of being able to move my finger yeah. and stop it. One thing I, I did enjoy uh, about the, the variation in weapons though, is uh, I thought they, they had a very simple way to incentivize you to try these new weapons. Um, there is a, a experience counter system and like a level up system, though. I don't actually really know what you were getting when you were leveling up. Uh, it's your renown level. I think it was tied to the yep. the the main story, but I honestly it never felt like I got anything for leveling up. But I still was, hey, it's leveling up. It's a video game. I want to level up, and so uh, you you were in what's called renown. And uh, if you use a weapon that you've never used before, you get fifty percent more renown. And so you're you're pretty frequently getting new weapons. And I think a game like this. It's pretty common for someone to kind of settle in on a weapon that they like. And I found this bonus to using a new weapon just enough incentive for me to try out every weapon that I got. And An I, absolutely meaningless incentive, but it worked on it, me too. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to level up, you know, and uh, I, you know, I like to explore all the game has to offer. But like for games like this where it can, you, you at least I can lost a lot and you're kind of always on this edge of managing that rampage that like was never super comfortable just breaking these beasts it was it kind of always felt like this like on the edge of losing game so like you would really i think most people would find a combo that they like and just stick with that because it kind of sucks to lose um but I don't know that that meaningless incentive of increasing a counter to increase a counter that doesn't mean anything was still enough for me because hey I want to level up who doesn't want to level up that said mm-hmm. uh, once I was able to get the companion to come along with me yeah. I stopped I, I it still felt like a um what a companion will do several things for you uh, they'll help you in the battle if. The beast is going to rampage one time. It will stop it by doing something very arbitrary, um, in my opinion, but um, or very funny. Uh, I only triggered it the one time Poppy had to come with me, and she just threw things all over the field and like left. Yeah, it's <laughs> like thanks, Poppy. Thanks, thanks, my wonderful squirrel cook friend. Um, chipmunk, <laughs> Poppy, short for chipmunk paprika, which is yes. adorable. It is absolutely adorable. But Very big personalities on these <laughs> yeah. characters. Everybody. Yeah. So um, we haven't talked about the other part of the gameplay loop, but I do want to, since I've opened the door, uh, let's talk companions, folks. Um, how do you feel about the characters in this game? I mean, they are both, they are all over the top and also like impossible to follow at the same time. I I felt like there was so much dialogue in this game that was very lovingly written and very lovingly, um, you know, put together. Every character was a unique character, but also it's like, what are they talking about? It is an insane world of like these giant beasts and the magic and the technology and like the queen. And uh, I, I don't know. It was, I, I loved the effort and the the scope that they were going for, but I also found myself just like, what is anyone talking about all but the I'll time? See. Yeah, that's kind of something that's interesting to to maybe drill down on a little <laughs> bit here because we're we're coming into this game that um, you know the thing that I knew Asher Vollmer for is possibly one of the simplest games. Of all time. Threes you know, is going was, to be around forever. 
Like our, yes, our, it was yeah. eminently duplic, you know, duplicatable and Im- imitatable. Of course, people have seen probably more copies of the idea than they have the original. The, um, but you know, the, the, it was brilliant in its simplicity. Um, this game is, uh, incredibly, it's brilliant, but in its bizarre complexity where it's taking this kind of incredibly simple brick breaker concept that's, you know, been around since the, the late seventies and has been recreated like the, the name, I think beast breaker is a play on brick breaker, which was the version of breakout that was on like blackberries. So <laughs> it's now on the app store, but I, I, it's, it, it's kind of a, a strange inversion to see how complex this really was. Yeah. I mean, this whole, everything about this game, you know, that, their goal was chunky, or wait, was it chunky? Cozy, crunchy. Crunchy, not chunky. The other kind of peanut butter. <laughs> yeah, game. sorry. Wait, crunchy and chunky? No, that's the same kind of peanut butter. Uh, Cozy, creamy. Yeah, creamy is the other kind of <laughs> peanut butter. Um, <laughs> anyway, this, this game is uh, crunchy in every capacity. The all we we just spent. 20 minutes talking about the mechanics and I, we really scratched the surface of the mechanics. There's mm-hmm. so much more to it uh, between all the different weapons and all the different beast types and all the different, you know, whatever. And then the story is the same. It, it's only a handful of characters, but there is. No, you get quite a few as, is, as you go along. You, mm. There's yeah, it, ultimately you are going to fill that house yeah. with weird little beasties. But they all have like their backstory and their motivations and they're all, they have their own tone. Like they, they, you know, they, they speak in their own unique way and they, they talk about like the history of the world and where they were at the various times of these, you know, impactful moments of, of history in the world. And uh, it's, it's a lot um, I think there is a depth to the story here. Like it, it is a kind of a complex story. Like that gets into, um, like the, not just the, the history of the world, but kind of the ecology of the world and the, um, impact that technology has had on the world. And it, it, there's a lot going on here. And so I, I definitely think that it's clear that they're really looking to create a game with a ton of depth uh, and, and still do that while like the, the every screen you look at, you're like, Oh, a cute character. Oh, he bounces. Yeah. And also it's not hard to follow what to do next in this game, which uh, I have been on the podcast recently going, I got too many weapons. They do too many things. I don't like this. I hate yeah. this. I hate that. I literally, I think this year I've talked about that. Um, but I am very happy with a million weapons if I get one at a time and I can play it and then I decide if I like it and then I can pick a different one. Like if I'm not getting, if weapon switching isn't happening every 30 seconds, if I can do a full battle with each one, turns out I'm very happy with a million weapons. Yeah. So I think this is mostly to me a lesson on what makes a game feel accessible despite getting more and more complicated every round. That's a good call because despite all the characters and despite all the backstory, um, you're really only interacting with uh, one or two of them at a time. And it's really clear when you're supposed to interact with someone. You'll be back at your little, your little house that has like a kitchen where Poppy works and the forge where Granny works and your expedition place where you talk to your Google Maps pin and like your main home where Jean Quill which, hangs out, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great name. Uh, and there'll be little word, like little speech bubbles that are very obvious. Big on the fan screen. of dandy. Yeah. Uh, when you when you're supposed to talk with one of them, it's there. And so, you know, OK, I got to talk to Jean Quill, um, which is nice. There, there's only a couple things at a time that you're supposed to do, then you set out on an expedition, you can choose your weapons, uh, and then you go and you do the same thing over and over and over. Uh, but just the sheer amount of dialogue and, and amount of times, even though it's only one or two 
maybe times that you're talking to people in between each fight, you're doing a lot of these beast breaker scenes. So you end up talking to a lot of people and uh, I went back and forth on how much I ultimately enjoyed that gameplay loop because a lot of it felt like an excessive amount of lore and background to get to a fight that I was going to feel on edge about and never really feel in great control over and then lose and then go back and have to talk to all these guys again to go out and do another run. And I really appreciate the com- the complexity that it's going for. But at times this just wasn't very fun for me and I wish that it was more fun. I don't know what would have made it more fun because I actually really like Brick Breaker games, there's something satisfying about just the 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 zen quality of the of a you know of a ball breaking through the bricks and and like learning the the speed of the ball and the paddle maneuver or whatever it may be. Uh, but I never really got that with this game, so it just was it's a lot to take in all the time. Maybe stick with your sword and shield, babe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe I was trying too hard with all the different. All the different, like, you know, mechanics. glad you did because it, I mean, that's a, to me, this was a game that I'm really glad I played in, like, hour shifts at a time. I'd play a couple beasts. I'd, you know, get some backstory. I'd go about my life. Um, We don't always have that luxury. Often I'm trying to play in one night. I think I would have had tried 18 weapons in a row and gotten very bewildered. And so I think it's funny for this to be the, game that I'm like, take breaks, but <laughs> because it's such a light game in some ways, but it also is very complex. And I think um, it's going to be more fun. The chiller it is. Yeah. I feel like we're, we're like inching towards wrap up, but I think we, we do need to talk about the whole other like mini game that is in this game that is in, yeah. the, we've talked about the home base and we've talked about the beast breaking, but because this game needs more stuff, there is a little grid-based, hexagonal, like, hexagonal, like hunt and peck sort of searching mini game thing. Where the, the the story of it is that there's a you're out to hunt a beast, and you know it's in the general area of uh, of this settlement. So you start in this settlement. And there, how many hexagons do you think? Probably like 24 or something like that. It's like. It's like five by five by five. Yeah, it's like a pentagonal grid. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you, it's turn based here. So it's all like fog of war style where you can only see yourself and your surrounding hexagons. And then you can, you have a little mouse basically that you can click on another hexagon and you'll move over to it and you'll expose the hexagons around you. And there may be resources for you to pick up, which you can spend to buy essences, which you apply on a a bounce. Again, another layer of, you know, uh, complexity and uh, these essences do all sorts of different things, or you may actually encounter the beast. And every time you get next to the beast, you learn a new element of the beast which gives you a little bit of a heads up about what it's going to be able to do. And you can either challenge the beast or you can let it go. But the beast is absorbing these pools of goo or ooze. <laughs> ooze. Corrupted. Yeah. And and every ooze or goo or whatever that it absorbs, it becomes more powerful. So you have this balance. Yeah. So you have this balancing act of how many resources do I try to collect? to spend on essences which are pretty powerful at the expense of the monster becoming more powerful. I think it's also worth mentioning that this is where they kind of integrate story into the quests because, you know, there's not really any story to be had while you're actually doing the bounce-by-bounce uh, bounce combat. So so it's at this level where there'll, there'll be quests that are like, you know, go and find the missing person who wandered off or go and find the crashed airship or go and find, uh, you know, it's usually just like locate something on the map or yeah. or get from one point to the other on the map. Um, I love it when there is like a gameplay element that they can build the story into. 
Uh, I don't know that this game totally needed that <laughs> because it is so um, confident in its story outside of the missions. But um, it is kind of neat, and I I like the um, you know press your luck element that you get out of out of this um, ability to do the little upgrades and get the items. And the items are very effective in the in the fights. Yeah, I, I did find myself prioritizing getting the items over like going into a fight really quick um, because they were so helpful. It's things like on bounce, create a small explosion that deals one damage in a radius so that now whenever you hit a scale, you're probably not just breaking that scale. You're breaking a couple around it, which, you know, expose the core uh, more uh, quickly or there's potions that you can get for health or for charge, you know, valuable things that I, you know, I found worthwhile, but also I could, maybe I just was bad at reading the UI, but I could like never completely grasp when the uh, monster or the, the beast rather was going to absorb the settlement. So like three or four times, especially early on, I'd be out collecting resources and it'd be like, the settlement was destroyed. I'm like, oh, shit. It, it roars a few times. I found it is on the side. They they show like how many pools it's eaten. I saw it. It, absor- it told you how many pools it's absorbed, but I couldn't tell. It, I guess it's just after all three. It does three and then the next one will be the settlement. Okay. But uh, it also, I will flat out say I failed more at tracking than I did the main game by far. <laughs> like I was constantly going on little like – um, you can do side quests basically to just to get more resources or practice or have fun. And I was doing some of those and I lost several in a row because I couldn't track. And then I got my first companion and the companions not only have battle abilities, they have tracking abilities. And that made it so much easier because I didn't have to waste a whole turn trying to get some blueberries. Yeah. Like you can send John Quill, if you bring him with you, um, you get like a free, you can basically pick any hexagon out in the map and you'll ship him over that way and he'll go out, do a little dance and then expose the, you know, all the hexagons around him. And that doesn't take a turn and you can see what's over there. And it's a nice little boon and they all have their own little companion bonuses. My favorite was Lord Dandelion Gladiolus du Fritalia, the fifth heir to the Marquis of Summercrest Mallow. Nope. Mallow is not that Mallow is a different person's name. Heir to the Marquis of Summercrest. I'm not going to say it again. <laughs> Mallow is a different person. Yeah. Thank um, you for – I can see the joy in your yeah, eyes as you a, started uh, to uh, read I was just rolling and then I was like, <laughs> oh, that must be a word wrap. Nope, that was a line break. Yeah. Um, yes, Dandy, uh, the cockatoo – uh, best tracking power because basically cockatiel, I think. Oh, is that your difference? Are cockatoos cockatiels? I don't know. I I don't know. No, I will. Uh, listeners, write into the short game. <laughs> yeah, I will. <laughs> you 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 said it with such confidence. This is an unknowable you. thing. There's no way. <laughs> well, any of I us can I know. not without. I looked up the I looked up the, the characters. Recording. If you go on Vodio's website, they have a um, they have a collection of little character sheets for each character oh. where you can see all all like different pictures of them and their details. It's a, uh, you know, very, 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 very cute stuff. But all, that is good all very lovingly crafted for sure. Mm-hmm. The art in this game, I, I have to give it a little bit more praise because it is just really well done cartoony line art and the sprites are great. Like one thing I even noticed is like a lot of games where they have like just f- sprites facing each other and talking, which is, you know, this is basically is, they will uh, be really lazy about how much art they want to put for each character. There's a lot for each character, including stuff like, um, I think I remember Granny Whiskersmith is a, um, it is like a, a, a spotted multicolored uh, rat creature. And a lot of games will have like an asymmetrical character like her that has like a big spot on one side, but that spot will just jump back and forth when they turn left or right because it is just flipping the sprite. But for her, they have a unique sprite, whether she's phrasing left or right. They put a lot of love into every little piece of art that goes into this game. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of it is really good. Big fan of of Mallow's design. He's the <laughs> he's the tree frog guy, and he is just funky looking. Yeah, I very rad. Much like Mallow, um, I 
I got to Balo's reveal and did not get to play Balo as much, but I, I think I probably would have made him my main companion had I continued more. Yeah, this is an interesting game where it's like every piece of it is definitely well thought out and uh, and considered and I think, you know, handled by experts. The art's well done. The story, you know, may or may not be your thing, but they clearly care about it. Um, and the, the beast breaking stuff is interesting and the little tracking thing is in, is interesting in and of itself. But for some reason, at least for me, it was almost like the sum of all the parts was too much, you know? Um, like I, I needed some subtraction at some point to make this game a little bit more, um, you know, appealing to me personally, uh, or maybe just, I, the, the beast breaker element to it was just not as fun as I wanted it to be. And I, and I wish I could ex, you know, explain more clearly why I, it wasn't as fun as I would think it would be for all of the things that we added together. But, um, you know, I think you certainly can't say that they didn't con- try to consider everything and be, uh, you know, completionist in their, in their content and their thought process for everything. I think, this is definitely a game that had a ton of attention to detail end to end. I mean, I didn't realize until right before we started recording that there's even like elemental stuff where like there's different um, element associations with the beast and then the different things you forage for can be useful in different ways against them. And I was just... There's so I, much. And all the beasts have different layouts so that you can bounce in specific ways and some will work very well with... Some, you know, like some are very tight screens, some are very loose. It's just, there's so many things to think about that you're doing the same thing over and over again, but I feel like it's as complex as this could be. I don't see what else they could add to this, honestly. Yeah, I don't think there, I'm sure there's, there certainly could be more, but I'd be more interested in stripping it down a little bit, making you feel a little bit more in control of the bounce and become more of an expert at the actual primary mm-hmm. gameplay mechanic rather than just choosing the system that you want to use, firing it off, and hoping it goes the way you want it to go. I don't know. Maybe there's Beast Breaker experts out there who really became experts at the at, at that, um, but it. I, I played a lot of this game, and I still... I felt like my first fight and my last fight were pretty similar as far as my ability to, uh, you know, control and and manage the fight. They're definitely scaling you alongside the beast. Yeah. Um, overall, I think this game is supposed to be one on the longer side for us. It's more like 12, 12 and a half hours. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and if you want to do all the side quests. None of us quests, were able to finish it in the time allotted. Yeah. Um, but this is the kind of game that I think – because like each individual fight is a pretty discreet uh, bite and mm-hmm. then you can kind of get through the story at whatever, you know, pace makes sense for you. Uh, it's the kind of thing that I can see myself dipping in and out of uh, yeah. whenever I just am in the mood to keep Man, going with it. I can't wait to play this on a bus to my in-laws house stuck in the hollow <laughs> tunnel. Like I can get stuck in that tunnel for like 45 minutes and I'll just play the, like a couple rounds of this and I'll yeah. be happy. Definitely agree on that. Like, I think um, you can choose to the degree at which you want to interact with this game. There, There's always this seemingly endless well of side quests and, uh, and whatnot. But outside of a few instances, the game doesn't force you to interact at all with that side element. Um, you can just basically mainline the, the main quest if you want. And I think that's great. You know, I, I think while this game is a little bit longer and uh, we have our, you know, some issues with it, it's definitely a game that respects your time. And, you know, I, I don't want to discourage anyone from trying it. I, I think this game definitely deserves some attention. Just the amount of thought and effort that went into it, I think, is commendable. And the art and all of that is a real highlight. It is. It's adorable. And it's filling a niche I don't have. At 15 bucks, I think this game is a is a great pickup if you are 
interested in this kind of gameplay if you're if you're like me there have been many times in your life that brick breaker has uh eased its way in and you have you have spent time with with yet another variation of brick breaker um i I think this game for me i picked it up on sale it went down to something like seven dollars right at the start of the year uh and that's when i picked it up and uh that was a it was it was definitely a, a a lot of value for me at that price, but uh, the just being able to kind of tinker with it a little bit at a time ever since then has been a really satisfying way to play the game. Yeah. So that's how I would recommend people engage with it. Yeah, a lot of our games have um, I wouldn't say a high barrier to entry, but they're they're you can dip in and out of them while you're playing them, but once you stop, it's gonna be really hard to remember. Um, a thing in this game's favor is um, no matter how complex it is, every screen has those little tooltips. This is yeah. also a thing I praise the hell out of Hades for because I never have to remember what anything does. It will tell me, yes. please put this in every game because I will pick your game back up even if I don't have muscle memory and I will work to reachieve it because I don't have to remember the strategic memory is still there. Like, please, please just give me tool tips in your game. I'm begging you. Yeah, I agree that that is, that's a great point, Laura. This game has a ton of obvious and clear guidance as to what everything does. I don't remember what shutter means, but or what you know, shatter versus, uh, versus taunt. But it will tell me. <laughs> yeah. There's so many. And there's I don't so have many. to remember this. It's great. So before we wrap up for the uh, for this episode, I think we have enough time to do our favorite segment, uh, making us happy or making me happy. I don't know. Shane, sure. what's been making you happy uh, this week? Well, you know, I always love to come to these segments with a movie recommendation. Uh, and this one is, um, I think, a, a, a recommendation um, with maybe a few caveats. But I, I wholeheartedly enjoyed watching the new 2022 Scream. This is has the same title as the very first Scream. No, they didn't call it Scream 5. They just called it Scream. Um, and, you know, the, the, the fun of this one, uh, I think, is especially keen for people who were, like, genuinely freaked out by the original Scream, which I was. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the 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 thing about scream as a as a you know the original was it was kind of a a, co- a horror movie that was a commentary on the tropes of horror movies mm-hmm. and at the time in like 1993 or whenever um i'm guessing i think it was a little uh, later than that but <laughs> i won't look that up but not that much um, later uh you know when when that uh when that movie came out, that was a very original like kind of concept. And you know, the, the nineties were all about being kind of meta and, and ironic. And then they've continued on making four, uh, four more, uh, of these movies. And, um, th- this, this one kind of looks back, uh, and, uh, it, it it's, it's a commentary kind of, you know, it's hard to say when when these things are basically slasher movies that are uh that it's a commentary, but it's 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 commenting or it's sending up the tropes of kind of its own mini genre uh, where scream has become basically a um you know the the DNA of scream is it's a who done it uh that you know, where it's, it's whodunit meets a slasher film where, you know, you, you eventually some member of the, you know, two members group, because Scream is known two, yes. for always having two murders. And this is the thing Absolutely. people forget and they call this out in the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm, they do. Um, and then simultaneously, spoilers. it's kind of satirizing. No, it's a spoiler the, for every single Scream movie. <laughs> every single Scream movie, basically. Well, it came out uh, in 1996. Which, okay. So maybe yeah, some of us have. haven't seen it yet. Okay. Well, you're in for a treat because it's, but the thing about the Scream series is um, the characters learn from being in horror movies over and over again. And there's a fake film franchise in the of the Scream movies in the 
So it's all very meta. The, the kid literally says, like, I prefer the Babadook. Or, like, she's like, I prefer art house horror in the beginning yeah. of it. And he's like, no, slashers are the best. Elevated <laughs> horror. And Elevated th- this, horror. So that's the thing. It's also a commentary or it's on, on like, horror fandom culture because there's this kind of divide that's not really a divide between this kind of uh, – to many made up subgenre of elevated horror versus that's your But um, you know what's in it. It's it's Yeah. Um I've watched several recently as part of my uh March movie marathon. It's uh, you know, the Midsommar, the Babadook, the you know, hereditary under her skin. Like it's it's those kind of like it's it's get out, it's parasite, it's horror, but it's got this like social consciousness or yeah. feminist or something. Or it's in Sweden. <laughs> yeah, you know, as long as as long as your horror movie is trying to say something, which technically they kind of all are, yeah. you know, at least mostly. And uh, th- but then my favorite thing about about the new Scream was the way it satirizes legacy sequels, or where there this is the new trend of rebooting franchises without really rebooting them, uh, where you you know <laughs> you know from the beginning here they called it just Scream, but it really is just. It should really have been Scream 5 because it's just a continuation like of the Scream, story. Scream, the reboot. Yeah. Um, so it's you, where you reboot things, but then you have a few scenes with people from the original and you make sure that people know that it's all really tied together, even though it's sort of not. Um, so that's fun. Like, if any of that appeals to you, if that's you, check it out. If not, uh, really, you got to see. Th- I, I wouldn't say go into this one without seeing <laughs> at least the first. Yeah. <laughs> I had seen one and two. Yeah, I have seen them. Watch but Scream it's, and then watch yeah. Scream. Yeah. You know? Yes. I wonder if that naming convention is eventually going to come back around and be a problem when we're on like the fifth one that's just named Scream and it's like 2085 or whatever. But um, you Scream mean if Scream you know what I did last winter. Or Scream the second one. Scream 2022. Scream 2022. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Parasite. I, I watched that. Uh, it's been a little while now, but I didn't see it when it first came out. And uh, uh, that movie was you know, directed by, um, written and directed by one of, by the guy who made The Host, which was one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. And I'm very, I, I feel very strongly about avoiding spoilers and avoiding really anything. Same sort of thing I take on this show. I just go into it completely blind. It's my favorite way to engage with media. And because he made The Host one of my favorite movies I had assumed Parasite was also a monster movie. Oh, amazing. <laughs> and, uh, the monster is capitalism, Yeah, mate. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I hope this this is a spoiler only for people like me. So I'm sorry if you're like me out there and you've not watched Parasite. So go and watch Parasite. But there's a lot of things in that movie that if you think it's a monster movie – you, could be a monster. It could be a monster movie. There's a lot of little. Okay, you, <laughs> you really make me want to do like a double feature of Korean cinema where we do first the parasite and then the host, which is a monster movie. <laughs> well, th- that's what. So like, there's a lot at the beginning. Of, wait, wait. That's also that's him too, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the same. It guy. is. Yeah, oh. that's the point. That, that's why he said that's, that's why he's comparing. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I am. I am. I yeah. am so. I am so slow. Uh, on, yeah. on the uptake when you are making good jokes, Nate. It's, well, oh. it's not a joke. It's my it's, life. It's, it's Nate's life, yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> there's a lot at the beginning because uh, I could be like – And it's called Parasite. Yeah, so you think I it's going to be like a really, an alien scenario. I really thought there was going to be some sort of underlying actual monster element to it. There's like scenes early on with people behaving very strangely and there's like you know gas being sprayed. I was like, oh, okay, here comes – and then it was like way too late into the movie before I started to realize, like, okay, there's not a physical, actual monster. This is a monster movie to a degree, but not uh, like literally not a uh, some sort of physical monster. But anyway, um, Laura, what's what's making you happy? <laughs> So I have been watching a million movies because I'm doing a March Madness Best of the. Uh, 2010s but i'm currently my bracket's a little sad. Going, my bracket's going terrible in in your actual uh, in, no no i don't do that but in your march madness movie marathon my bracket's going terrible oh yeah i'm currently on top but that's not gonna <laughs> last um 
but I am a little sad today because a couple of movies I love didn't make it through the first two rounds. So instead, I'm going to talk about um, a very different thing, which is um, Pudding.Cool back in 2020 um, did a site that was supposed to collect data on generational gaps in music. So basically, pudding someone watched cool. Pudding.Cool. <laughs> they do a lot of cool like visual design, like infographic-y stuff, but it's like, you know pocket sizes or it's all very strange and I up my alley, but they saw TikTok about a bunch of very young people listening to very familiar music and having no idea what it was like listening to a non like wedding Michael Jackson track and being like, I've never, who is this? I've never heard this before. So they, you know, discovering Led Zeppelin, that was like a big TikTok trend. So the powers that be at this data site was like, what if we made a little engine that played you snippets of music from each decade, you said how old you were, and then it used this to tell you, you know, what 68% of millennials know this song, or like 5% of boomers, and they wanted to see which tracks make it across generations and which ones just fall off the map entirely, which ones are only associated with your generation. So you go to the site, you turn your sound on, they play you a bunch of 30-second clicks, and you say from um, don't know it, sounds familiar, like I know this song and I am singing along. Like this, <laughs> I know this song. Yeah. Those are your four ways, which every single survey should learn from this. There should be an emoji and it should be like that clearly ranked of like, I kind of know the song to like, yes, yeah, yes, I know this. The results would be completely skewed if it was like one end was like, name this song. You no, know? It's, it's it's just don't know, sounds familiar. Yeah. I know it and like, yeah, I, I super know this song. Um, and, and is it all 90s music? No. So when you first play it, they're going to give you a random decade and give it to you. And after you've played it through once, here's the trick. They'll give you a playlist of all the things you've played, which categories it's in. You can keep doing as many decades as you want, as many times as you want. And at the end, you're going to have a huge list of songs that you didn't know that you know. And every you can also click on each of the songs in your like results and hear the clip. So if you're looking for music you haven't heard before from a decade, you can just listen to the 60s like 10 times in a row and then go back in and be like, here's my playlist. Boop. So this is most fun in two ways. One, if you're looking for new music, this is a perfect way to like rediscover stuff that you haven't heard in a long time. Um and like also weirdly find out which decades you're better at than you should be because you can look at the bottom for every song and see the percentage of people in your age bracket that lines up. You're like, only 10% of millennials know this, but I, you know, have heard this song for years. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you get to find out how different you are. But the second thing it's really fun to do is at a group event, like I know Passover is coming up and if you're trying to like kill time um, – like, it's fun to put this on and have people, like, yell, be like, oh, yeah, I know this. And grandma's like, I don't, and hits the <laughs> no button. Like, we, we played it at Thanksgiving. It was a blast. The thing, um, it's incredibly fun. Uh, you get a playlist out of it. And you also can, um, if you skip the whole deal um, through it, you can get, like, their results of, like, this is the most important thing from – like, this is the song that a millennial knows. This is the song that only a boomer knows. They have a full write-up of all the results from it. So it's it's fun to play as a toy, and the data is fun. That's interesting. It's it's pudding, like the dessert. Pudding, like the dessert. Pudding.cool. Dot, dot cool. And the title is uh, Identifying General... Identifying generational gaps in music. So if you just do, it's pudding.cool slash 2020 slash 04 slash music hyphen challenge. Um, and cool. you just pick where you were born and take the little quiz and you can do it for days and days. I'm it's also scrolling really through the Cool Pudding homepage right now and I uh, uh, a lot of these headlines for their articles are things I, I want to go back and click on later. Very uh, 
Very cool looking site. Thanks yeah. for suggesting it. It's all visual essays with data. And this is one of the ones that I've had the most fun with. Um, I Here's another similar one. To help you get out of your geographic music bubble, we found songs that are most popular far away from you. A hundred percent. And it's like, it's incredibly like if you listen, uh, the first fact is if you listen to pop music, you've likely heard Butter by BTS, which is the most popular song in New York City. But like if you go to Hoboken, Good for You by Olivia Rodrigo has butter level popularity. It's like what, like go around the map and discover what's hot in other cities. It's very fun. Um, I love a, I love a site that uses uh, data in a visible and cool way versus sites that like take your data and use to sell ads. I'm like, yes, take my data and then tell me what music to listen to because yeah. that's way more fun for me. I'll give you that data for days. Well. I'm going to piggyback right off of this. I was originally going to talk about uh, baseball being back, but, you know, who cares about that? Um, Instead, speaking of going outside of your region, I recently learned about an Indian metal band called Bloodywood. I heard of this and I haven't listened to it. Is Uh, it good? I mean, so I love uh, Bollywood music and I, I connect with some metal music and so this is a mashup that i never knew i needed i definitely recommend you check it out the vessel tidbit is they did a uh tour and they called it raj against the machine which is just (laughs) hilarious and and beautiful so um yeah we used to do uh we called it bollywood film club and we would uh have uh pretty we would have frequent meetings and we just went deep into the bollywood uh catalog so um love to talk about that sometime but what fun i will just uh recommend checking out bloody wood which is what a great name uh and it it's great like i i really enjoyed it so uh check it out so um while you were saying that i i the geographic map was just swirling in the background while you were talking. And it was like, you should know that the Wellerman is the most popular in some rural cities in France. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You so should like, know that. You, you should. And you, I, I want to know where like, you need to um, know that. Yeah. And I really want to know where Bollywood metal is most popular. Yeah. So I will explore this after. Awesome. <laughs> well, I think that's going to do it for uh, this episode of the short game. Um, if you, uh, like the show and want to support it um we have a patreon and we have an active fun amazing discord that uh, patrons at all levels can be a part of we do a lot of the planning for the show in there we are always looking for suggestions it's a great place to join the community meet some super cool folks and uh you know help support the show and and just be a part of a cool community. So uh, you can find that at patreon.com slash the short game. If you can't support the Patreon, we understand. It's crazy right now in the world. Um, But we always appreciate taking a few minutes to leave a a review on iTunes or or whatever you use for your uh, podcast listening. Um, Let us know if you, you know, how you enjoy the show. A few minutes, all we ask. We always appreciate that. Uh, if you have a question for or a comment for the show, you can go to our website at www.theshortgame.net. There's a comment form there. Or you can follow us on Twitter at underscore shortgame. You can find me on Twitter at NateSTL. And Laura, where can people find you? On Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And Shane, where can people find you? On Twitter at 8BitShane. And thanks, everyone, again for listening. Have a great week.